Welcome to In the Deep. I'm your host, Katherine Ingram. The following is excerpted from a session of Dharma Dialogues held in Lenox Head, Australia in August of 2018. It's called Where to Find Consolation. I also want to remind our listeners of our next residential retreat, which will be in the spectacular Coromandel Peninsula of New Zealand in May of 2019. What are the ways we find consolation in our lives? So it's an interesting thought, isn't it? How do you find consolation? Because we need it sometimes, don't we? This world can be tough. Life throws some hard balls. So there's, of course, any number of ways people find consolation. You know, some people find it in nature. Some in the arms of their loved ones or in some form of creativity or some kind of reflection perhaps, countering the disturbing thought or the disturbing situation. People can sometimes just change the way they're perceiving so that it lightens it a bit. <clears throat> but I'd like to talk about a particular form of consolation, and that is in Sangha, the community of those on your frequency. Whatever your tribe frequency might be, it doesn't have to be spiritually oriented necessarily. In fact, I, I listen to a lot of comedians uh, and interviews with them as well. I like often they're some of the most honest social commentators around. Um, and I've come to know that they have a particular club. Comedians really like to be with other comedians. There's a certain thing that they're sharing that apparently nobody else quite understands. And there's a story that uh, illustrates this that Jerry Seinfeld told. He was at some glitterati party in New York, just mob scene with all these uh, famous people. <clears throat> and he spied Chris Rock across the room. And he made his way over there as fast as he could. And he grabbed onto his forearms and he said, comedian. <laughs> and of course, Chris Rock knew exactly what he meant. <laughs> like, oh, brother, you're here. <laughs> And even if you're just sort of standing next to your buddy and you're not even talking about anything, but it's almost like there's a silent hum between you, right? And that's true in so many circumstances. And it's certainly true when you're with your Dharma Sangha, your Sangha who are looking not only at the surface bubbles of existence, but are also hanging out in the deeper quiet and being informed by that quiet. That quiet is actually informing how you perceive. And so when you do speak a few words together with each other, when you do say something, it has the sparkle of that kind of clarity. And for many of us, we're kind of like Jerry Seinfeld at that party. It's very, very consoling to be with people or even one person who, who you share that with. For one thing, you don't feel as crazy <laughs> about how you're perceiving the world. You come to a gathering like this, right, where things are being spoken that uh, you don't hear in most social contexts. And it gives you permission to continue to see that way. And instead of having to contort your vision to match the masses, 
with whom probably most of you don't fit. One wonders if any of the if any of the masses actually feel that they fit, right? <laughs> we don't know. Consolation. It is an incredible consolation. The other ones are all good too. We we it's nice to have a range. You can't always have any necessarily any one of them at hand. But this one, the sense of belonging, the sense of having a communication, however mm, um, imperfect, right? Because it's very, it's really very, very hard to speak your full heart. We can approximate, but it's really hard to get the exact printout, even to oneself. But when you can, when you're with someone and there's a good approximation, that is really, really salubrious. <laughs> You know, we produce these podcasts. This session is will turn into a podcast. And a woman wrote me the other day from England thanking me for the podcast. I get a lot of notes from people I've never met around the world. And, and this one she, in which she said, I come home and listen to the latest podcast and it's like being with a friend. So we can all feel that with any of the ways we feel inspired by those in the world who are on our wavelength, on the shared frequency, in the deeper places, and gives you permission to live there. I, was, I thought originally I could say it's about death, but then I think, no, I'm talking about my death. Yeah. And I've actually been reading a very interesting book by Marcus Aurelius. Oh, yes. Love him. Kind of like, you know, a third century Catherine Ingram <laughs> and a Roman emperor and stuff. But <laughs> uh, he makes the point that, you know, don't worry about death. You are so insignificant in time and place and... Um, even if you think, you know, I want to be famous when I die, you know, you're going to be famous to a small number of people who are also going to die. So yeah. forget about death, just worry about the now. I understand that. Yeah. And, you know, I can, and I can also feel like, you know, intellectually I'm not scared of being dead. I'm only a little bit scared of dying without dignity or in pain. Yeah. But I was actually thinking what I really um, sort of and I'm comfortable with is the fact that I won't be alive because being alive is so fantastic and to think that one day I'll go to sleep and I won't wake up and I won't keep on doing this <laughs> is something, a bit of a worry. And the question then is, is there a way of dealing with that other than just put it out of your mind and focus on the now? Hmm. Well, I mean, I could offer some countering reflections. First of all, I do understand, like, the idea of not being since being is all you really know and you're really grooving on it. Hmm. Um, so there's that, there's that projected sadness, except that, of course, you won't be there to be sad, so that's not an issue. Um, but um, another reflection, and it's born of experience of me observing a number of people who have greatly loved life, but have come, they then come to a point where death becomes their best friend. We can imagine that, Right. Even people who've just lived a very long time and are ready to go, you know, who uh, are tired. Um, one of my friends died 
two weeks ago in Switzerland. He was 85 or six, something like that. He had a huge life and a good life um, and just ate the world. I mean, just was really a, a gourmand in every way. Um, <laughs> um, but he came to a point where he was just plain tired. His body was giving out and he was tired. And, and here's someone who was such an enthusiast. Even, I mean, they, his wife had just sent me a photograph. They were in Switzerland where they liked to go, some fabulous resort. She just sent me a photograph of him on a bicycle a few weeks before this, the death. And he's grinning away on the bicycle. And, you know, so I guess the point being that your assumption right now is based on this particular circumstance. It could change, and I would allow for that possibility. Um, another reflection is, you, you mentioned very rightly uh, the point about, um, you know, no one's going to, even if you were famous at the point of your death, the people who even knew that are going to all be gone as well. Um, but another reflection is you don't know how the world is going to go, right? could get really troubled. <laughs> it already is for a lot of people, you know, who may not be that enthusiastic about hanging around here. Um, so these are the kinds of things about the assumptions we make in terms of this notion of how fabulous life is. It, it's very conditional. Um, now, that said, my way of playing it is I'm just grateful for the good days, right? For however many there are. I know they're limited, very limited. Um, they may be more limited than I suspect. And that's, of course, true with everybody. I'm often, I'm often aware when I hear of a sudden death. I'm often, like, I often find myself thinking, what were they doing in the hours before? You know, they were just leading their life. They were going on their errand. They were, you know, whatever. Um, like, what were they? Their mind was just on a sort of normal track and then suddenly game over. Um, so uh, these are the kinds of, you know, perspectives that I console myself with and that just throw me straight into carpe diem. You know, just seize the day. That's all you for sure have. And this that you're bringing up is very particular to the human animal. We're a creature that knows it's mortal. And I think that any thinking, feeling, awake person is aware of death quite a lot. So I totally would say to you, it's somehow a question of balance. Having the awareness is something you just can't help. Some people are better at denying it than others, but I found that the Dharma people, they get it and always sort of did, you know. I think that's one thing that separates out the crowd. I've not met many Dharma people in all these many, many years who don't have a pretty strong relationship with their own mortality, with the knowledge of it. Um, but then, it, then you just you're just on this razor's edge of like, okay, still living my life as though you're in hospice, right? Living my life, eating, tasting my food. Wow, it's like the old spiritual story, you know, of the guy who's walking along and he starts being chased by a tiger, and the tiger's gaining speed, and he's on a cliff, and he jumps off the cliff and grabs onto a vine, and. He's hanging on the vine. It's a strawberry vine somehow. Below, below there's, he sees there's an, another tiger. And the end of the story is he picks one of the strawberries. And the last line is how sweet it tasted, right? In that moment. And that's really, we're, we're in that moment. Um, we have the tiger above and the tiger below. You know, we, we get to pretend now and again that that isn't the case, but really it is. And so the more clear you get 
as you go. And especially with aging, where you're constant, not only are your friends dying, but your own body is changing, you know, and uh, so you're getting many, many reminders. (laughs) So, you know, you just start to, I like to say you manage your attention. So when the attention is falling too much into issues about mortality, then move the attention somehow, like force it into tasting the strawberry in whatever way that might appeal to you. Um, And don't don't have a sense that you have to eradicate this, uh, this awareness or this, even this concern. It's, I think it's a fair concern. And I love what you said about you know, wanting to die with dignity, all those things we think about, of course. You know, with no guarantee of it. We have to live with that um, uncertainty. And there's an inherent, there's a there's an inherent disturbance in that. that we just have to honor, just say, okay, yeah, that's true. But do you then just spend what you have of your precious life being concerned about that time ahead? No. You're welcome. I like what you said about... I like what you said about your tribe because um, so I've been going to... Maybe that's the last 17 years I've been going to meditation groups and um, they're my friends. Like yeah. I feel... You know, um, you know, and now many of my friends are there in America. They're all over. They've yes. Traveled there. But when we connect again with them, you know, when I connect with them, it's just like yesterday. It's like and timeless. Nothing, yes. Timeless. Yes. Yeah. And I feel like I belong. Yeah. Whereas <laughs> I know I'm. I'm not. I don't feel mainstream that I belong in a in a box. You know, in a certain. It's just not, I just, yeah, I just feel that I've always been different. Yeah. In so many ways. Yes, yes, yes. And um, I'm very thankful to be here. Yeah. And for you to be saying those words. Because Uh. I totally relate to those words. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, right. So, thank you. It's the Happy Misfits Club. (laughs) Exactly. But I wouldn't want it any other way anyway. No, um, I mean, if one doesn't fit in with the lockstep of the culture, right, it, it, it's very costly to try to fit in, right? It's, it's, it leads to depression and frustration and feelings of separation with the others, and, yeah, it's very, very painful. That's why I'm saying it's a great consolation to find Sangha. And to your point about how, you, you, you know, you feel in the company of those people, even someone who's brand new, who's just walked in the door but is on that frequency, you feel is your friend. Yeah. Funny when you asked... The question, what gives you consolation? (laughs) Of course, the first thing that came up for me was chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, many things of which you spoke really resonate with me, obviously. That's why I keep coming. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And and my main tribe is Sangha, which I feel extremely lucky that, that I can live a life that's... For which that is the case. Yes. Because yes. Yes. I know people that have that, re- that resonate with the Sangha, but they still have to go to work. and Yeah, and sometimes be in circumstances with people that not only do they not feel are their tribe, but they feel very uh, taxed by yes, exactly. the energy. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I feel extremely lucky, yeah. But what I also... Uh, thought to mention is that Linda and I were in Canada and in, in, in the US on holidays and we 
um, we had the great good fortune to spend time in a lot of forests. And I grew up in Holland in a forest town. And my room, second floor uh, of the house, looked out over the treetops. And I could sit in my windowsill and mm -hmm. look out over the treetops. So mm -hmm. that's, that's my roots. Pardon the pun. <laughs> um, <laughs> and... Living here by the ocean, I absolutely love it. I, I love going to the beach just about every day and, and get incredible nourishment out of that. But going, being in those forests and being embraced by the, by the energy of the, of the trees mm. was like coming home. Mm -hmm. So that was a form of consolation that was entirely unexpected, mm -hmm. but it was so yummy. It's mm, beautiful. And then I can, can attest, for, yeah. can attest how, how, yeah, how I just lapped it up. And what I also found incredible consolation in those forests was that there were big trees, small trees, <laughs> all kinds of different species, and they were all living together in such great harmony. Mm -hmm. And it touched me so deeply. Mm -hmm. And I was mm -hmm. like, why can't we just <laughs> follow that example? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, mm. that's... Apart from the Sangha, nature and trees mm -hmm. give me great consolation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too, actually. Me too. I look at this uh, creature behind me quite a lot in the day. Um, and uh, it's such a reminder of just the power of life and of presence not that it's intentional but um i just feel such a privilege to just look at it you know and be reminded of of an ancient being hi hi uh just wanted to ask a question around um when you're not around your tribe mm -hmm. how to maintain that sense of wholeness and being when others around you are maybe out of alignment and behaving differently? Yeah. I mean, it is hard. It's hard to do that. And it really has to do with just how, how habitual you are in your own calm. So it's really good to get habituated. <laughs> And even then, sometimes you get thrown off, especially if you're tired or if it's going on too long, the circumstance, <clears throat> you can get worn down. Um, I always recommend taking breaks. Like, I wouldn't recommend trying to be heroic in various circumstances, like thinking you have to be above it, you have to, you know, you have to <clears throat> be sort of beyond your own evolution. <clears throat> I don't ever suggest that I, I'm very practical about these matters so if you're finding that you're just getting worn down by it take a break if you can um, even if it's five minutes even if it's going to the bathroom and in the bathroom just going into quiet just allowing yourself to just stop and go still and there may be trickles and there may be or maybe someone has said something that is so you know, off, right? Or, or has said something mean or has said something that's not true or whatever. And so here you are now in the bathroom. First of all, another reflection can help, which is that often we react and, we, and there's a feeling, there's a natural human thing of like, this is unjust and I don't want them to get away with this, right? This is unjust, it's really helpful to see the suffering which, has, which is the root of their action or their words. It's really helpful. And it often can just give you a little bit of like a breather from your own outrage. Although sometimes outrage is needed to uh, affect 
action against something, but it's good to do it with this understanding as well. So you don't let bullies just get away with things if you can stop it, right? But at the same time, you can understand that the bully is a bully for some reason. Maybe that bully was bullied or just not loved, right? So it's really helpful to kind of just take a break, reflect, you know, tell yourself, believe it or not, they're doing the best they can. (laughs) That's always a really useful line, and it's always true. They're doing the best they can with what they know at this moment. And you can think to yourself, they should have known, they've, been, they've known before, they're, they're this age or that age, they've been through all this other stuff, they've been to all these retreats or whatever. There was a guy, I was involved with Buddhist practice for a long time, but many years ago. Um, and there was a guy in our scene who was so difficult and he, he didn't get along with anyone. Just really difficult, just a cantankerous, angry person. And one time I said to our meditation teacher, who was also my friend, I said to him, our teacher, I said, I can't believe he's been practicing for five years. And our teacher said, you should have seen him before. (laughs) (laughs) And it's kind of like that, you know, that everyone's just where they're at at the moment. And we know this in our own case. We have said to ourselves, I should have known that, right? I should have known better. But you didn't. And even though you may have had the lesson before many times, and you thought you got it, you didn't yet. (laughs) But there may come a point where you finally did, right? And even for fast learners, that can take a long, long time, let alone slow learners, you know. So these are the kinds of reflections you can engage with. Now, that said, I also, again, no heroics. I don't recommend seeking out the company of people with whom you don't really have that kind of sensitivity. Because when you're a sensitive person, when you're someone who's... Um, empathic and generally plays fair and tells the truth and thinks of the greater good for everyone, not just yourself. Strangely, you're a little bit vulnerable when you're around more rough and tumble playmates because they might, they will take advantage of your good nature. And so it's really best to play with the sweethearts, you know, play with the dolphins instead of the sharks. And yet, as Marianne is pointing out, not everyone has the privilege of mostly just being with the dolphin crowd or the sweetie pies, you know. Many, many people in the world have to be in all kinds of circumstances with others. So then it's just managing it the best you can. And not forcing yourself to think that you should be above it. But you should be able to just be with anyone, anywhere, and endure it. You know, the more sensitive you become, the more you pick up cues about, like, the vibe. You pick the cues up as soon as you see them. You know, I just mentioned I listen to lots of things. I, I, I listen to all kinds of lectures, and I just, I've always been kind of a student of life, you know, so I'm always ferreting out different little rabbit holes to go down to educate myself about some obscure thing. But I'll notice within a few sentences of listening to someone, I'll know whether I'm going to continue or not to listen to that person. And it's not what they're, it's not the words or the concepts they're saying. It's just the sound, the frequency that's coming out. And even though sometimes what they're saying, if I were to read it, might be interesting to me, but because the voice and the vibe of the, of the speaker is not resonant for me, I'll, I'll, I'll turn it off. So to have no apologies about that, just... 
it may be that you get used to spending time alone a lot or just in the company of people who really, who, like I said, who you're standing next to and there's just a quiet hum going on. Beautiful. (laughs) I'm just fascinated how you stay within that frequency that you're talking about. Is that habitual? It's pretty habitual. I mean, I am privileged to live uh, alone. (laughs) 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 So it's like a retreat space, you know. And (laughs) and I, I must say, I mean, I... I don't have a lot of tolerance for nonsense or for banal conversation. And, um, you know, I, I can engage in that as necessary as we all find ourselves in circumstances where that is necessary sometimes. And I do all the things I've just said to you. I'll consider, especially if someone is behaving in such a way that I'm just, you know, amazed at how inconsiderate and selfish, usually strangers or, you know, out and about in the world. Um, <clears throat> you know, I'll just think, well, we must have really, either they're having a hard day or a hard life, right? Um, things like that. But I, I get out of the way. I steer clear of them. Is there compassion for you in that moment or is it just a recognition? Compassion for me or for them? Um... It's really more a recognition. If I happen to know the person and know whereof they have suffered, uh, then there would be perhaps more of a chance of compassion arising in that case. Thank you. Yeah. Your comment about you have the privilege of living alone. (laughs) And... um, I get uh, Marianne's laughter. <laughs> yeah. um, sometimes I think she wishes she did live alone. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bit of a chatterbox. And, um, and sometimes there's no filter between my thinking and speaking. <laughs> and uh, and that's, um, that can be a challenge for, for people who are deeply involved in what they're doing. <laughs> um, but I... Uh, I had, as Marion said, we had had a great time in, in, in Canada and the States and we did um, attend Gangaji's five-day silent retreat, which was, yeah, I was thinking, was there any consolation in that there for me? Because I was absolutely um, not looking forward to the... The, the, the concept, yeah, the concept of being quiet and... Um, and whilst most people that go there, they relish that, right? right. And um, and I know that when I am on my own with my own thoughts, I mean, I drive myself crazy. So <laughs> um, I kind of appreciated, um, oh, you know, the the blessing of the. And how did how did you do? How was that well, for you? I, yeah, I I survived, and <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was uh, it was. Truthfully, it was very challenging, and um, but the realization, and I guess the consolation was um, that in the times that I was, you know, with what you say, you crazy aunt in the attic, mm-hmm. um, that was painful. It was really painful, and and I couldn't really express, you know, that I couldn't express anything, and that was the tough part. Yeah, um, and when I uh, we we had a boat ride that was in silence. Even the guy that was the you know the, the pilot, he he honoured that. And we were out in the um, in the middle of South Lake Tahoe, mm. and I'd been taking photos and going in my mind, going, "Wow, wow, this is this is amazing!" Oh, look at that internally. To yourself, yeah, and. Um, Oh, I wish Marianne was here. I could, you know, we could talk about that. And what happened was that um, there was this really, uh, and, and your words came to me actually while I was there was you know being in being in the um, 
uh, hanging out in the deep waters of your own being. Yeah. And, and effectively, that's where we were. And Actually in the deep waters. <laughs> in the deep waters, yeah, yeah. But all of a sudden there was no boat, there was no mm. people, there was just... There was just me and, yeah, and the lake and the mountains and the... So it was like, wow. Yeah, and, that's beautiful. Yeah, and it was that real, authentic feeling of belonging. Mm, it's and, lovely. Yeah, and there was, there was sadness because I thought about all the times that I didn't belong. And that was kind of in everything, my family, you know, high school, work, straight world, gay world. Yeah. It's, it was like I was different. And your, your words where you feel different to everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and the recognition that Sangha is, I mean, I, when, I'm, when I'm with people like that, it, it's... It's it's not there. There's 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 a knowing and a and a and a deep gratitude. But what I also realised was that most of the words that I speak and perhaps other people speak are they're redundant even before they come out of your mouth. You know? <laughs> so true. And 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 that's what I realised was that my thinking, unfiltered speaking of those thoughts. Oh, such a waste of time. Mm. Wow. Such a waste of time. Mm. And um, mm. yeah, so wow. so more awareness of sometimes most <laughs> at home is different, but um, <laughs> um, just being with myself and being okay with that, yeah. you know, and. And the crazy aunt in the attic is, is, is a little quieter these days. Mm-hmm. And so I am deeply grateful for the opportunity to experience that silence. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and I love <clears throat> that moment for you on the boat that where the, the satisfaction or the, I mean, I'm just, obviously these are not, these are just words we're going to say to approximate, but... Um, to have that to have that experience it almost gives you a pattern to to have that experience often so even anything you're doing cuz you know when i was younger I, I was very romance addicted back when i was young and so if i wasn't in a romantic relationship any beautiful circumstance that i might be in i really couldn't fully enjoy because i would i would have a story saying i want anyone to I want someone to share this with so it would be it would be this kind of half-life I was living I mean I could be sitting on a beach in Hawaii in front of the most beautiful sunset you could dream up and the story would be running oh if only if only I had someone here right and and that habit has shifted over the years over the many years such that I feel like I, I I can just immerse in beautiful moments, one after the next, in my own solitude, without a story, also without a me story saying, isn't this great that you're experiencing this, but without a story that says that anything needs to be different about this experience. So if someone's there to share it with, well and good, how nice, it's fantastic. But if they're not... Right, and you're just alone in it, and you're seeing something so amazing. You know, you just you just allow full immersion, like you've just described. You know, and that that becomes more and more how you're experiencing this totality. And so, even when you're with somebody else, you have quite a reserve of that experience. Is still is still really your own wordless reflection. Right? Because no matter, even if there is someone there, you have no idea what they're perceiving. You know? You can have, it gives you a sense that you're sharing it, and yes, to some degree you are. But probably the majority of it is 
I said I was speaking about this recently, I think in Melbourne or somewhere, um, how, you know, how other creatures are experiencing the world so differently. You know, eagles can see like a mile or two, is it? Or, you know, dogs can smell things we can't possibly smell. They can smell from a distance. Um, the other creatures are, have different sense doors that are operating in different ways. And certainly within each breed, uh, there's a range as well. But like in our own case, we don't know if, you know, we can agree that that table is tan, but I don't really know how you're, what color you're seeing. You're not seeing tan, okay? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, but it's like that with everything. You know, whatever, you know, you could be listening to a piece of music with someone and there might be just, there's just different things going on inside your being in, in what notes you're, you're hearing is emphasizing. Or, I mean, this applies across the board. We're, we're very uniquely designed. Each one of us is a unique one-off in the universe. And so we're, the whole apparatus in all its functioning and its mental uh, construction and certainly its conditioning is all completely unique. So to really honor that um, and to know as you're experiencing something, that's another part of the immersion is just letting, you know, letting the information just soak through on this being. Um, yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. That's a it's a different angle, and I like it. Oh, good. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Because yeah. you know, really, I mean, it's it's so beautiful. Your relationship is so full of love, and it's so, I'm sure, comforting. Talk about consolation. But as you probably know. At some point, unless you happen to die together, one of you is going to be gone. <laughs> I'm first. <laughs> you know, and so it's, it's also really good to come to terms with one's so-called aloneness, you know, to really make friends and celebrate and, you know... One of my girlfriends is she's she's a real recluse, uh, really a classic recluse, and she is uh, listening to her. Sometimes I feel like I'm I'm, a fr I'm friends with you know Thoreau because she speaks a lot about the power of solitude, and and she just delights in it. I mean, she just she lives alone. Um, she's not at all social. She doesn't really... She loves animals. And she loves plants. And she loves gardening. And um, that's her world. Um, and she studies history. And she reflects... She's quite erudite. Um, but she lives in very deep space uh, of solitude and, and really loves it. It's very inspiring, Right. <laughs> and that, by the way, that's not to say to all of you, you who are coupled up, that that's a beautiful life as well. To find a partner in life, you know, that who's loving and supportive, who gets the beauty of your trip, who cares if you got home from the grocery store or not, all those things, right? Who meets you. In the deep water, right? Yeah. That's huge. That's really lucky in a life. Really lucky. And for those who don't have that, um, count your life as lucky as well. In a different way. <laughs> I was just wondering if part of... Some of the problems in this world come from the fact that we all have this desperate urge for connectedness. And how you get there is you can get in different ways. Yeah. You know, you might get your connectedness through a love 
relationship with yes. another person or you may get your connectedness by going for a boat ride or a trip into the forest. But when people get frustrated about, you know, why can't everyone be like me or, you know, why will this person not connect with me because I want to connect with them and there's a barrier or whatever, that's when you get the frictions coming up. Um, so I just wonder if that's in part of the issue. You don't necessarily need a lover to get that, mm-hmm. but you've got to, and you can find connectedness with the world by being on your own, but um, as long mm-hmm. as you, I suppose, you, um, you know, work out what you well, like. Well, I mean, I think a lot of the ills of the world <clears throat> and maybe most of the ills of the world are due to a feeling, people feeling kind of fractured inside, right? And alienated here. Exactly. And and a lot of the projects of mankind, um, you know, which a lot of it has been incredibly destructive, and especially the mad consumption that is now the norm, right, um, is driven, I would say, by this sort of paucity of feeling connected that basically there's some promise that having more stuff or or having some sort of platform on which you're manifesting your grandness of self um, is going to give you that feeling that, that, that humans naturally crave. In some cases, I think those people are thinking there must be some comfort to get out of material things because otherwise why is everybody out there madly jumping all over each other to get material things? So that must be the answer to our life. Yeah, that is what people think for sure, that that more stuff and more money and more power and all of those things are going to provide mm. the kind of uh, satisfaction that we're talking about here it just doesn't happen to be true. And the ones who can tell us that the most clearly are the ones who have all that stuff and are not happy. <laughs> and who then often, some of them anyway, uh, turn to a very different interest in, in matters like this, basically. You know? and, um, but uh, the rest of the world is just scrambling to get to you know, climb those mountains of... And they're hustling. They're hustling, right? Hustling has become exalted, right? In previous times, hustlers were, you know, they were seen for, it was a low-class activity. (laughs) But now it's uh, in fashion, right? I mean, one of the things I feel like I do here in these kinds of conversations, and thankfully uh, others who come here do it as well, is just challenge all the assumptions of the culture. You know, the the culture is just stark raving mad and getting worse, you know? And um, the things we're talking about are so simply accessed, strangely, you know, it's all about just how you're using your attention and reflecting in certain ways and behaving in certain ways and being kind. And they're all things that we've heard over the years, but that very few people actually employ as a means to happiness. Right? In fact, it is the only means to happiness. And yet people just somehow... Get deluded, and I often point out, we're dealing with the most powerful advertising media ever in history. It is coming at us everywhere we look, and especially on our screens, as we all know. You know, you click on something, whether it's a, you know, a 
you know, a new bucket that you're going to order from <laughs> for your DIY projects <laughs> or whatever. And, you know, from then on, you're getting bucket advertisements and no matter what, how weird a thing you might be on. Like you're on something completely unrelated and you're getting a bucket advertisement. And, it, it, and it's all going in so fast and so subliminally, you know. But the so, message in all of it is you shouldn't be happy because you haven't got... That's right. That's right. That's how things are sold. You have to know... You have to think that you're not quite enough and that you can't really be at ease until you get this other stuff in order for you to want to go to all the trouble and all the expense to get it. There has to be some sense of lack about a specific item or a situation or whatever... And so people are just chasing the objects and experiences endlessly, and they're having to work really hard. Many, many people, not everyone. Some people are very rich, but a lot of people are working really hard. You know, I told this story. You weren't, you weren't there this last time I was in Melbourne. I told this story just recently there. Um, I was driving. Uh, I was coming in an Uber from the airport to the city, my friend and I, and... I was noticing, because I hadn't been in the city for a few months, I hadn't been in Melbourne, I'd been out here. Um, so I was noticing all these fancy billboards and all this very fancy stuff on the billboards as we're driving by on the freeway. Um, you know, and they're just incredible shiny objects that are gorgeous, you know, um, like fancy, beautiful BMWs and Italian belts and shoes and, you know, the whole range of fabulous stuff. Um, and it is, well, you know, it's, these are works of art and they cost a ton of money. And when you think about what you have to, would have to do, the amount of sweat hours to get one of those things, and is it going to give you that kind of pleasure? Yes, it might be, you know, at first it will. You know, you'll probably be kind of jazzed at first after you've spent all that time and all that money. But after a point, your happiness set point is going to go right back to where it was before. <laughs> That's how it works. Your happiness set point just resets itself, whether it's gone up or down. And... And so now you're that much poorer and your happiness set point is just where it was before. So there's a way in which you start to rework the entire production in your mind and heart and go toward contentment. Like go the opposite direction. So instead of saying, I want, saying, I'm so grateful for what's here. This has been In the Deep. You can find the entire list of In the Deep podcasts at katherineingram.com, where you can also book a private session by phone or Skype, or make either a one-time or a recurring tax-deductible donation. Assuming you like these podcasts, we would also appreciate a review wherever you're getting yours. Till next time.